Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, thank you everybody for joining me today with my guest, Savan Hong. Welcome to the show, Savan. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Marcia. Oh, this is going to be just wonderful. I just want to let people know that, that you are a children's book author and illustrator, and we're going to be talking all about your great books today and what it's like to be an author, because you know that. You know what that world is all about. <laughs> but before we get to that, I'd just like it if you could just share a little bit about yourself. Tell us just a little bit about yourself, Savon. Sure. Um, I live in beautiful Westport, Connecticut, um, mm. and I am a wife and a mother of two boys, a eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. And before becoming an author, I was in the world of business. I was a business professor and um, a strategy consultant and really have enjoyed making that career shift. And you did make the shift. And I, I would like to, our listeners to know, because I'm going to spell your name for them so that as they're listening, if they would like to go to your website, which I just think is delightful, here is how you would do that. Savan is spelled S-I-V-A-N-H-O-N-G dot com. Very simple. So Very simple. You, you, very simple. So you mentioned something about you were in the business world. And then you made this this shift. So what was the impetus for you to become an author? So um, I was never a person ever in my life um, who said I wanted to become an author. In fact, um, when I was a child, reading was probably my least liked activity. Um, <laughs> but but um, I am the mother of two neurodiverse kids, and when my youngest was in my oldest, excuse me, was in kindergarten. He needed to wear headphones in the classroom because of the noise. And I couldn't find a children's book that had an illustration of a child wearing headphones in the classroom. And, you know, in the world of children's literature, people talk about the benefits of books being mirrors for kids. And that if a child can see themselves in a book, then it makes everything feel normal and okay. And I desperately wanted to have these kinds of books for my kids so that they could feel normal and okay. And then I realized that if I was looking for this, then there would be other parents out there who could benefit from it as well. And so that's what made me decide that somebody had to do it, so it was going to be me. I think that's really inspiring of you, and I and I. As someone that was that PTA lady that was always in the schools from elementary school, frankly, all the way through high school, um, I was a volunteer. I did all of those things. And I, I, I think there's such kindness about what you just talked about. 
And um, I'd like, you've written, I believe you've written five books. I know that you have a series of books that are, that are in one um, group called, um, what is it called? It's called the... Uh, um, the Super Sunday just, Book Series. That's right. That's right. And we're going <laughs> to talk okay about that. We're going to talk about that. But I thought maybe we could just talk about your series itself. Why don't you just let our uh, listeners know what what, this, what these books are about in your series? Sure. So in... In the concept of special education, um, or in the world of special education, there's a concept called a social story. And a social story is a tool that helps grown-ups um, talk through a challenge with a child. So if the child is nervous about going to the dentist, for example, it will walk through all of the steps that happen in the dentist so that the child knows what to anticipate and that that unknown isn't so scary. And all of my books have that kind of structure. So they start off with a child who has a problem and it walks through all of the worries associated with that problem and, and it's done in a series of steps. And then the child with the help of adults figures out an approach for how to overcome those worries and those fears. And then that approach is laid out also in a series of steps. So it's this very kind of deliberate structure, but surrounded by a story so that it allows the child to talk about their feelings and the parents talk about what this child is going to go through. And so um, my books touch a variety of different areas, all school related. So um, one of them deals with the Halloween parade at school. Another one deals with the first day of school. Another one deals with Mondays, um, just like today, which even at this point in the year can be really challenging for some kids. And then the most recent one in the series talks about the end of the school year because um, unbeknownst to me, I learned very quickly that the end of the school year is full of anxiety for some kids because of all the change and that they lose their family that they've had all year and don't know what's going to happen the following year. And so that book helps kids work through some of those worries. You know, it's really interesting because um, I can really understand everything you've just said. I really can. I'm, in fact, you actually sent me back in my mind personally to those times um, where what you're saying I think many of us um, can relate to, um, and 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 I think this is so important. And I love this one picture. I love this picture of you um, on your website where it talks about school visits. I love the way you are personally sitting with your hand, reading these books to the children, and having them truly physically participate. <laughs> and we're going to be talking more about that as we move um, through this um, podcast together. But I know I spent years and years and years reading with my children, reading to my children, reading with my children, to the point where I thought, oh, my gosh, you're actually reading. No, you just memorized this book because I'd read it with you so <laughs> many times. You really weren't reading it. But we just shared that special time together whether you're a parent, a grandparent, uh, a neighbor, a school teacher, 
there's something to be said about reading with children. And you mentioned Avery G. and the scary end of school. Um, um, what, was there any specific inspiration behind that particular book? It's a great question because all of my stories, albeit fiction in theory, are all true stories that happened to my children. Um, and the story of Avery is a story that happened, frankly, to both of my kids um, when the end of the school year approaches. And there's a lot of worries. So Avery is nervous about leaving her teacher because she loves her teacher and she doesn't know who the new teacher is going to be. Um, and, and, you know, what if they're not as nice as the one they have now? You know, these kids get very attached to their teachers. They worry about friends. You know, over the summer, most of these kids don't spend the same kind of time together as they did during the year. And, and what if her friends don't remember her and she has to make a whole bunch of new friends next year? This idea of saying goodbye, you know, saying goodbye, even for grownups can be very overwhelming mm -hmm. and, and, and the difficulty in doing that. And then with Avery, she also um, is worried about what next year will look like. So will her day feel the same? Will the classroom be the same? Like all of these unknowns. And then the last thing for her is that she has put so much energy into doing a good job at school this whole year. And look, this is particularly true kind of this year and last year and everything these kids have gone through that by this point in the year, she's tired, right? She's mm -hmm. exhausted. And the things that she could handle in the beginning of the year are much harder to handle now. And so what can she do to address those things? And so those are the worries that, um, that my kids faced and then the book gives very specific examples of how to deal with those worries and one of the things that my kids do is they go with their teacher to meet some of the teachers in the grade above theirs um, and even though that takes five minutes and they walk around the classroom and they see what the classroom looks like in the grade above theirs suddenly that fear of the unknown goes away because even that small connection that they've made with the next year's teachers can go a long way. Um, I'm sure that's some of the true. other some of the other things that we've done is 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 have specific playdates over the summer for the for kids in the same class so that at least they know that they're going to see their friends and that they can keep those connections alive over the summer. Um, my kids, like many neurodiverse kids, really thrive with a schedule. And in the summer, there's not a lot of schedules. You know, <laughs> they know when their their art class is and when they're going to have lunch and when they have recess. But that's not the case in the summer. And so Avery's parents create a schedule for her for the summer, so she knows what days she's going to camp and when she's going to the beach and when she's visiting her grandmother. And frankly, when those summer playdates are happening. So it provides all of these real-life examples that parents and teachers can implement with kids who are facing similar challenges. That makes total sense. And, you know, not to mention what COVID has done to schools across the country as far as just the socialization of being together. And then you add other elements to that child's life. And you really, I, I don't, I don't know when. When did Avery G 
um, and the scary end of school. When did that book come out? When was it? Was that is that newly released? It's newly released. Yes. So you it, already it, knew so it COVID came out within... at the end of March. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. So yes, I mean, I'm I know you're not talking about COVID necessarily in this book. You haven't mentioned that parent of two kids that you're very aware of are having a different kind of school experience these last two years. You know, that's that's been a challenge. But I think that what you've done is superior. And I'm just curious, what in thinking about this, what do you hope to accomplish with this series? What's what's your what's your hopes? I'm really my first order hope would be to just give parents the kind of books that I was looking for when my kids were younger um, than they are now and when they were newly diagnosed um, being neurodiverse. But more than that, there are great tools for classroom teachers to talk about differences that children have and differences that they experience. As a classroom teacher, if you can read a story in the classroom that illustrates a child wearing headphones or playing with a fidget toy or needing a movement break, it's a great tool to then explore those differences with those kids. So the books are not just for neurodiverse kids, but also for neurotypical kids. Yes, I would say that that's equally important because there's some understanding about why the, why is Joey wearing a headset. I don't understand that. I'm not wearing a headset. So I can see right. where that really opens up the conversation, doesn't it? It does. And look, a headset is very noticeable. But, you know, why does Joey get to chew gum? You know, that's something I want to do. Why does he get to do that? There are all of these differences that if mm-hmm. you talk about, it makes it much easier for all the kids to understand. I'm sure that's true. So you 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 have a, a wonderful professional background. You, as they as they say today, pivoted into becoming an author. <laughs> um, uh, it's my new favorite word next to Zoom. Um, <laughs> um, so, right? I mean, those are words we're now using, and everybody knows what they yeah. mean. Um, <laughs> So why did you choose to self-publish your books? Because that's a that's a, a decision that you needed to make. Um, for me, I, I looked at the publishing world, and look, the publishing world has made great leaps and bounds in terms of diverse books. But the number of books that focus on um, neurodiverse people, not even kids, but are, are, are such a small percentage of the books that have been published. I mean, we're looking at less than 1% every year. And so the idea of of trying to find a publisher who got what I was trying to do felt very daunting and would require a lot of time. And for me, it was much more important to get the books out there than to go through a traditional publishing route. And in particular, you know, my books have dyslexic-friendly font, so it looks very simple in terms of the way the layout works in the book. And the illustrations themselves are purposefully simple to not be a distraction to children with ADHD when you're reading the book. Because oftentimes, uh, a child with ADHD will start focusing on why there's a red toy on the bookshelf in the picture of a room 
instead of what the story is about. And so mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to explain these things and find the perfect publisher who just got it. I just wanted to put the books out there. And so that's what I did. That makes a lot of sense. And it's it, you're so talented. Um, most people don't write and illustrate their books. But what made you to take what uh, they're, they're fabulous. But what made you <laughs> make the the decision to do both illustrations and writing? So um, I want to say it's because I had this very specific idea of what the illustrations uh-huh. should look like. And that would be the right answer. But the truth is much more that I tend to be a bit of a control freak. And I was like, oh. I can do this. So I'm just going to do it myself because I know exactly what I want. And that felt easier. <laughs> That's so funny that you say that. Trust me, there's a lot that you've been saying that I can personally relate to, really, as of <laughs> like today. I would also say that I'm a control freak. I am. But, you know, <laughs> you can be a control freak, but that doesn't mean you know how to draw or illustrate. So clearly, you are multi-talented. And, you know, I'm a visual person. And so as I'm looking at your website right now, and I am looking at the cover of each of these books. What I recognize is that I see the I see the colors. I see the color of the book. I see the color of Avery G's red dress and her shoes. And I I like that. And and I think that that's very appealing to me. And I could see where if like it would be so cool if your books were in libraries where a kid goes into a library or even, you know, like my friend that's the school teacher, there's, she has books in her classroom. People are going to, children are going to gravitate to your books because, frankly, seeing this picture of Avery in her little red dress with the A for Avery, and my gosh, what if your name is also Avery, and then there's all these stars and it's blue and it's, you know, you're going to want to look at it. And I, I think that you were um, brilliant in in your design. I, I do think that you're um, brilliant in your design. And and I also know that um, that you do offer your books as audio books um, as well, don't you? But why do you do that? I, I do because, uh, so I'm neurodiverse. And so the only way I consume literature is via an audio book. Um, which is why when I was younger, I hated to read because back then they didn't have such things. And so to me, it felt authentic to have these books released as audiobooks as well. And I really wanted them to be accessible to every kind of reader. Um, and I find that my children love audiobooks, um, which is something you know, we didn't really have before. And so that was a really important part of the publishing process for me. You bet. Do you speak your own audiobook? Is I don't. Your voice? Um, I don't. I hired professionals. Um, okay. They're not all the same um, narrators, but I hired professionals to read them because while I am a control freak, there are some things <laughs> that, that I was like, that is beyond my skill set. I know my limitations. Um, and a professionally done audiobook looks and sounds very different than something that I would be able to put together. 
That's interesting. Isn't it it nice when we have an understanding of our skill set? I mean, seriously, (laughs) I I do think that that's important. And and we can recognize, you know, I can pretty much do this, but I'm not so good at that. And 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 I think and and that's not with and that's without judgment. That's just that's just checking in and and saying you know I think that I can write this, I can illustrate it, but I'm going to hire a professional that's going to do the audio book. I think that was a brilliant idea. Um, so let me ask you, what advice do you have for other people who want to become authors? Because I must tell you. I've had a lot of authors over these last few years on my podcast, and I'd, I'd like to know what your advice is about that because I think that everybody brings their own advice to that to that question. So what is yours? I think for me my advice is sounding like a Nike commercial, but just do it, um, mm-hmm. that, that there's this fear of – rejection and or somebody's not going to like my book or or whatever it is is stopping somebody from from writing a book and making this dream of theirs a reality and i think the, the publishing industry has been disrupted so heavily by um so many different self publishing outlets or hybrids of professional and self publishing outlets that it's made it so easy and it's somewhat democratized the process of becoming an author that there's very little that stands in the way of somebody doing it. And then I guess the second piece is talk to other authors. Um, Mm -hmm. I have gotten phone calls and emails from people I don't know who've asked for advice about how to do what I have done. And it's very rewarding to talk to somebody who, you know, um, is looking for your guidance on how to do this and and I have found that that the community of authors is very open and welcoming and so do that as well even if you don't know them and you know did you do that I did before you wrote Um, your first book I I did it in the middle um, of of my process and um, that is having those conversations was what really was the impetus for me to decide to create my own publishing company and self-publish. Um, those conversations were very enlightening um, for me. But again, every book is different. And so the different factors that, that should weigh in on that decision is going to be different for every book. And so that's why talking to a bunch of authors will be very helpful. I can see why it would be. I'm I'm curious about your writing process. Um, do you have it in your head like okay, this is a, like the scary end of school or you know going to the dentist or you know horrible Halloween some of these things. Um, do you does the does it just come into you and then do you start jotting things down on a notebook? How what what is that like for you? So because they're all true stories um, and the big parts of the book are written already, um, because, again, that part is nonfiction, it's just putting the window dressing around it. You know, I couldn't make all of these books, books about boys, because one of the one of the stereotypes about neurodivergent kids is that they're all white male boys. Um, and that's mm-hmm. not true. And so I did not want to feed in to that gender and racial 
bias. And so it was very important for me to show all of my characters with a wide variety of gender and racial um, makeups so, so that they represented real people. Um, and so I had to change that part of it, but I know these stories. And so I literally sit down in front of my computer and don't get up until I've written the book. Again, it's a picture book. So there's not a lot of words, relatively True. speaking. But then I go back over and over and over again, and I read it out loud, and then I read it to my kids because it happened to them. And I need it to feel authentic because it's their story. And so they become part of that process, and they tell me if, if, if what I have said is, is the true feeling that they were feeling and really represents their experience. And they also tell me if what I've said is funny or relates to kids, because they're still pretty young. So, so they're a good test audience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are also part of the process because they pick all the names in the book. Um, oh. And so they pick the characters' names, and then there are names of children throughout the book, and many of those are names of their friends. Um, and so it's a nice little way for them to be able to kind of call out their friends in the book. The other thing, and and I want to raise this because it is Teacher Appreciation Week, is it that is. every single teacher. I saw teacher, that. Yes. Yeah. Every teacher in my book is a real teacher. It's a real person's name, and they really did the thing that I've asked that, that that they do in the book in real life. And it's my way of saying thank you to them for the incredible impact that they've had on my kids' lives. I love this. I, I, I do. I think that this makes perfect sense, and I think it's really exciting to know that your boys have been part of this process because I was curious about that that you know you you're living it and 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 they're not saying oh god don't 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 say that I don't no don't do that (laughs) they're actually saying they're embracing it aren't they they are well look they're both still in elementary school and in elementary school it's still pretty cool to have a mom who's an author um, yeah. They think that's a cool thing, um, and so I will <laughs> use that as long as I can. Well, you know, I think that it would be important for us to have this part of our conversation, and that is we haven't really defined what neurodiversity is, and I had never heard that term before, and or neurodiverse children, and you can, you called yourself neurodiverse. So maybe you could just, I know you're not a medical doctor, I understand that, but perhaps you could just enlighten those of us that are not familiar with that term and just what that means. Absolutely. Um, and, and honestly, until a couple of years ago, I was not familiar with the term, but it, it was coined by a sociologist in the 1990s. And the idea is that brain differences are biologically normal, Um, just as differences in our skin and our height um, and in the shape of our, you know, big toe are all normal. Um, Differences in our brains and the way we think are also normal. And so they embrace that difference um, as something that is positive and not something to kind of veer away from. And some of the types of categories of brain differences are autism, 
and ADHD, dyslexia, um, Tourette syndrome. There's 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 a bunch of them, um, and it and it really is a way of thinking about these brain differences as being positive, not just for the person who has them, but for the benefits that they bring to society. That's 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 terrific. I think that it's really important. And I'm looking at the clock, and I can see we have a considerable amount of time left with with the, the questions that are remaining. And I'm going to put you on the spot only because maybe you can or maybe you can't. Do you have one of your books nearby as we're speaking? Um, I can if you give me one second. <laughs> I can you know what? I'm going to give you that one second as you gather that. While you do that, I'm, t- I'm going to tell our audience why I've asked um, Savan to do this. Because I think words matter, and I think it would be really exciting to actually have Savan share some of this with us because if you visit her website, particularly particularly if you're a school teacher like one of my friends, and you go to her website, you offer so much there. Like you offer free downloadable teacher's guides for every book in your series. And they're designed for that educator and they're tested in the classroom. And you offer a a download to make that happen, which is phenomenal. And the other thing, I mean, I've got goosebumps just talking about you. (laughs) I'm glad I've asked you to take the time to pull one of your books. Because the other thing you do, you're in beautiful Connecticut. I'm in Los Angeles. But you actually can provide some information for school visits remotely. So, I mean, what, you're, what you personally are offering, I think, is so sensational. And I'll make sure that people have the access to see all of that. I, and so I, I'm, I'm glad you pulled the book because I do have a few more questions. But I think that for somebody to hear you, and I realize that you didn't do the audible for your book, but you did yeah. give your book a voice. And I don't know if you pulled one or two of them, but I, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that, and and I apologize for that. But I, I do think that since you were able to to put your hands on that, I think that people could really, um, get something from that. But just back to the neurodiversity, um, you know, some of these terms are terms that some of us are very familiar with. Maybe maybe we know somebody in our own family. Um, you know, I've done several shows on autism, and um, and and so I, I'm familiar with that. And I think that you know sometimes we just don't know what we don't know, and sometimes people feel awkward in asking because they don't mm-hmm. want to do anything that's offending somebody, like. You know, like ADHD. I mean, maybe there's people that don't know what ADHD is. Could could you just define that really quickly so people understand what that means? Sure, it, it, it's a technical term, and the acronym is for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't tend to like to define it because the that acronym doesn't feel like the right label for what it is. Um, from I my see. point of view, 
Uh-huh. It, it doesn't feel like a disorder. To me, a disorder is something that is very, very negative. Um, and look, there are challenging aspects to having ADHD, but there are also some great gifts that go along with it. And there is this kind of idea that it's some little kid who can't sit still in a classroom but and can't focus. And really, what happens is um, you hyper-focus with ADHD, um, Mm -hmm. where you can put your head down and work on something way past the amount of time that you should, but it allows you to get really, 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 really deep. Um, There's a, there's a psychologist um, who wrote a book for parents with kids with ADHD, and he uses an analogy that I use with my kids all the time, which is that ADHD is like having a race car brain. And you get on the racetrack, and you have an engine that can win that race, but you have to learn how to slow down and take the curves. Otherwise, you're going to pop off the racetrack. And so for people with ADHD, finding that balance of, of focusing too much or focusing too little um, is the sweet spot. But when you find that balance, it's an incredible kind of space to be. And so it's not a negative. You still have that 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 race car brain. You just mm-hmm. have to learn how to use it. And that's not easy, is it? Um, I think it depends. There mm-hmm. are obviously challenges with it, um, for sure. And if you ask my husband, um, the way I unload a dishwasher all day long, um, because I will put away one dish and then walk away and do something else. He will say that there are challenges associated <laughs> with it. But in my mind, the dishes always get, uh, you know, taken out of the dishwasher, so we're good. Um, but brings, if you look at it from a positive perspective, it brings creativity and thinking differently and really kind of looking at the world in a different way, which is why neurodiversity is so important. When you step back and you look at some of the greatest inventors of our time or or in history, or some of the best scientists, many of them are said to be neurodivergent. um, And because they see things differently. Now -hmm. there are challenges, right? There are challenges when it's hard to sit still in a classroom because our education system is not necessarily structured for kids with brains like this. So, so we have to work with the systems we have and make some adjustments where we can. But if you look at it from a positive perspective, if you look at it like a superpower, which is why all my kids have, um, all my book covers, the kids have their letter in like the Superman form on, on right. the shirt that they wear. Mm-hmm. If you look at it as a superpower, if you look at it as a gift, it can be unbelievably rewarding and and it breaks down some of those negative attributes um which is great for self-confidence i would agree i sound I very ab- pollyanna but no that's no how but I get it. but 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 that makes sense and i think people that are listening to this it makes sense because everybody wants to get along everybody wants to fit in and maybe that's not even true to be honest with you, maybe that's not really true. Maybe everybody doesn't want to get along, and I don't care if you like me or you don't like me. It's your problem, not mine. You know, there, there, there's all personalities involved here. But I think that the fact that um, 
your stories are true, um, I think helps tell the story because you're you're doing it from the perspective of witnessing it and understanding it and in some ways collaborating with with your boys about this because I think that that they know and 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 and, and you mentioned your own self in this situation so have there been some some real challenges in putting these books all together for you I think the challenge doesn't come necessarily from the books because the the response that I have gotten from parents and educators has been overwhelmingly positive and and I love getting emails the photos of kids reading my books or when parents mm. tell me that their child pointed to a picture of the book and said wait that's just like me you know those are the moments that that really kind of give me the chills and get me excited about what I'm doing but part of being an author in this day and age is is the publicity is the social media it's all of this other stuff and before being an author, I was not on social media, and <laughs> and and not everybody agrees with my positive approach to this, right? Um, mm. There is a notion of disability, and and that notion is important because with that term comes support, comes resources, comes accommodation, and all of those things are really important. Um, but people think that my approach to neurodiversity, some people think, takes away the power from that word because I view it as something that's positive. Um, and so they're entitled to their opinions. But to me, that's been the hardest part to get my head around because I, I can't understand why people want to focus on that part of it and not focus on all the good things that it brings. Because for me, if I don't tell my kids to be proud of who they are and how their brain works, I don't know how I can get the rest of the world to be proud of who they are, right? Like, it has to come from me. It has to come from our family. We have to focus on the positive so that everyone else can see the gifts that they bring. I, that's, I never really thought about that before because I haven't been quite in those shoes. So I can see where... Um, that would be very disturbing to have to have that kind of um, criticism of of what you're doing. I, I think that's that's unfortunate. Um, why do you why do, why does neurodiversity matter for people who are neurotypical? And just describe to me what neurotypical means, so I understand what I'm asking you. So in the universe of kind of brain differences. There are the people who have brains that are seen as typical. Um, and then there's everybody who has a brain that's seen as different or the diverse brain. And so the term neurotypical means somebody who doesn't have a brain difference. And neurodiversity is this notion that we all have brain differences. And you will find other people will use the term neurodivergent to explain somebody who has that brain difference. And so this hmm. whole concept of difference and embracing the difference, I think is really important for everybody. It doesn't matter kind of what your brain, how your brain works, but mm -hmm. that if we can 
again, being very Pollyanna, create particularly an education system that can focus on all the different kinds of brains and the different kinds of learning skills that kids have in a classroom, then we're going to get the most out of those kids. And they are going to learn in ways that we've never seen before, which is much better for society um, versus putting a bunch of kids in a different classroom and saying, those are special ed kids and they're going to be different. And therefore we're not going to invest in them because it's a huge opportunity cost, right? We have left all of this brilliance in a separate classroom and that doesn't help anybody, right? We want to integrate all of these different differences in the way we think, because I think that elevates everyone's thinking. And so that's why I think this concept is so important because even if you're a parent of neurotypical kids, understanding this issue can then help what your child is seeing in the classroom and help them kind of engage. And, you know, the other thing it does is it opens up the dialogue in your own mm-hmm. home about Joey, who, who I, I don't understand why Joey does that, you know. And it's, well, well let's, let's talk about that. Because your books are designed specifically for what grade level? I think this would be important for people to know, your actual books. And the books are ideally for three-year-olds to eight-year-olds. So anywhere okay. from pre-K to second grade. Although I have done readings with classes of fourth and fifth graders, Um, Mm -hmm. because we can dive into those issues in a very different level um, with those kids. And and they tend to get very engaged in the conversation, which is a lot of fun. I bet, because I bet they have questions. You know, Mm -hmm. I bet that they have a lot of questions because they're learning right along. And to to sort of separate the, the children that are, having an issue they're fidgety or they they they're you know they're disruptive or whatever it is i i i'm i'm thinking about a term it's the term's been around forever it's not like bullying suddenly jumped on the scene in the last 20 years um but think that that being bullied can be part of the concern that a parent might have like uh, this you cannot pick on my kid little boy here stop it you know, do you have that concern? <laughs> well, interestingly enough, um, I did when they were first diagnosed because particularly in elementary school, kids do all want to be the same. Um, and any kind of difference is is seen as something that kids can then go in and pick on. But when my youngest was diagnosed with ADHD and we talked to him about it and he said to me, mommy, I'm not going to tell any of my friends I have ADHD. And I thought, okay, you know, this is, this is your story to tell. You can do that. And he said, because I don't want to brag. And I was like, all right, I must be doing something right. It's a gold star moment for a parent when he views his difference as being something positive. And so my kids have shared their neurodiversity with some of their friends. I'm sure as they get older, more of their peers can pick it up if they see they're sitting in a different kind of seat or, you know, chewing gum or whatever those difference, however those differences manifest. Um, but it's not something they're embarrassed about. Um, again, 
uh, it's their story. So I don't post pictures of them on social media or anything like that right. because they may change their mind when they get older. But right now it's something they're very proud of. You know, when Elon Musk, whatever you think of him, went on Saturday Night Live last year and told everybody about his autism, my oldest son was really excited, right? Because here's somebody who's successful and bright and talked about how he'd been bullied as a kid because of his difference. And now look at how successful he is. And he feels like if anybody would look down on him, well, you can't look down on me because look at how brilliant people with a brain like mine can be. And so the more we have role models like that who come out and talk about this stuff, um, the better it's going to be for these kids to prevent them from being bullied. Terrific. It's wonderful to have those role models and what you're what your boys don't realize at their young age right now, maybe they do to some degree, is that they are also role models. And you are also, and your husband, are role models. So do you find that some of the parents of, of the students that your kids go to school with, do they reach out to you and want to be more informed and, and just want to be supportive as well because they don't know? Oh, absolutely. Um, that happens. But um, in my community, I feel very lucky to be in a community where, in addition to the regular PTA that our school district has, we have a special education PTA. And it gathers parents from every single one of the schools in the district. And we work on ways to engage parents and do activities for kids and all the things the regular PTA does. But it, one of the best things it does is we do a monthly support group, essentially, without any sort of formality. Usually we go to the beach and we sit around mm-hmm. and we talk as parents um, about what's going on. And people who may be wondering if their kid should be diagnosed with something can come and ask questions. And people who had newly diagnosed kids can come and listen. And, and you know, it ranges from parents with two-year-olds to parents with high school and college kids. And and when you hear that somebody has walked through your shoes and they've made it to the other end and survived, it's really reassuring. Um, because in the beginning, it can be scary. Don't and think. so yeah. this, this whole PTA um, is a resource for everybody in our community. And so people have reached out to me because of that as well. But for people who are listening, it's a really easy thing to start and become such an incredible support system for all of the parents in the community. I love that. Have you ever been asked to speak at board meetings, like your board meetings or anything like that? Have you ever spoke in front of um, administrators? I have, many times, actually. Um, I bet. And, and um Look, we have a wonderful relationship with the administrators here, and the special education PTA meets with um, our assistant superintendent every month to talk about all of these issues. So there's a lot of Mm -hmm. open dialogue. Um, But there are always times where the voice of parents matter, um, particularly with budget cuts and things like that. And so I don't shy about talking about, not for my kids, but for any kid. Um, You know, public school is one of these universal 
equalizers in theory, and we need to continue to keep it as such. Boy, I, I so agree with what you're saying. Do you, is it common? Because I don't know, so I guess what you don't know you ask. Is it, <laughs> is it unusual or is it common that brothers or siblings would, would be um, neurodiverse children? So many people believe that it's genetic. Um, okay. And um, and so both of my kids were diagnosed before I was. And when um, when I turned 47, I asked my husband and I said, for my birthday, I would like to go get a neuropsych because they keep telling me that if they went through all that testing, I should go through it too. And so hmm. we chuckled about it because he said, he's like, um, I know the answer to this evaluation, but go go for it. And we did it. And I told my kids um, once I got the results, and they high-fived me, and they were like, welcome to the club, Mom. Um, and my poor husband is the only neurotypical um, person in, in our house. And sometimes he just freezes and watches all the kind of chaotic brain frenzy that happens. <laughs> But um, but he's a good balance for us. But yes, many times it's genetic, and so if there are kids who have it, usually it's coming from somewhere, um, somewhere in the family. Not always, but usually. So, do you think that there's um, somewhat of a comfort between the boys because they're, they they both sort of understand this? Absolutely, and it makes yeah. parenting them easier. I bet. I bet it does. Um, I almost feel like you just dropped off the call. Are you still there with me? Oh, my goodness. Sometimes these technical difficulties happen, and she did drop, and so I'm going to wait for her to come back. And as soon as she does, I will let her back in. But for those of you that are listening, you can truly appreciate um, the challenges um, of what Savannah is talking about. And because these are live shows, these things happen. And I, I will also adjust to this, and hopefully she will call us back, and I'll be able to let her write back in. Because I know I told you I wanted her to read part of her book to us, and I would certainly like her to do that. Um, and, you know, techno- technology is technology, and live shows are live shows. I don't have a team of people behind me editing this out and going, okay, so we'll just edit this part out. Because clearly, as my husband would say, bless his heart, it is what it is. And I'm hoping that um, Savan will be able to log back in and I will be able to add her back into our our podcast together. But while she, while I'm waiting for her to to rejoin us, I do want to really recommend the fact that her books and her guides are are really really sensational, and the fact that she offers all of this advice is is great. Whether you're the grandparent, you're the parent, or you're that school teacher, these these opportunities are absolutely available for anybody that wants to take advantage of this. And I think that that's also just a wonderful thing. And, you know, sometimes weather happens where there's been a, a problem with the Internet or, we, oh, she's back. 
And let me just tell you, she's back. <laughs> and there you are. So I have continued to keep talking because I was, okay. hello, I was born to talk. <laughs> and so while it might, I was like, wait a minute, she's not there right now. And this is a live broadcast, so she'll get back in. This I'm, I'm going to tell you, if I was new at this, this would have freaked me out. But frankly, this has happened a couple of times before. So I have a couple of more questions. I just I have one more question to ask you, and then we'll see what our time is like. And and that's really important that I ask you this as well. So, based on what we've been talking about, what advice do you have for parents who have newly diagnosed children? This is a question um, that I think is really important, Marcia. So I'm glad you asked it because okay, you know I talking like, you know, my kids are superheroes or X-Men or whatever, and it's so exciting. But there is always a grieving process, I think, that happens when you find out that there is something different with your kid, right? As, as parents, when you, when you have a newborn, you imagine what their life is going to be like, whatever that life is that you imagine for them. And over the years, as they grow older, your narrative disappears and their true narrative manifests itself. But when you get a diagnosis like this, it kind of jars everything a bit. And these ideas that you have for your kid go away very quickly. Um, And you go through that grieving process for the child you thought you had, and that's okay. And, and you, it's okay to let yourself have those feelings. It's okay to feel sad about what you thought was going to be for them. It's okay to worry about how the world will treat them. And so you should not feel hard or feel like you have to be so hard on yourself. Grieve. It's normal. Um, But know that after that process, there's a world of people who have been through this and who are here and are, are available, you know, in many forms to talk about your child. When my oldest son was diagnosed um, as an autistic kid, his therapist informed me that um, he would never play on a sports team, so I should just, you know, not even go there with him, that it would be too much, it would be overwhelming, it would be a failure. Um, And last year, he was on a travel soccer, a travel basketball team, right? these dreams that you have for your kids or that they end up having for themselves, which is actually the more important ones, um, can still happen. This is not some sort of death sentence, but it is okay to feel sad about it. It is okay to be scared, um, but reach out to other parents who have been through it because we have so many stories to share and ways to help. I love that. And, and you know, when you have the right pediatrician and you have the right support network um, from, your, from your physicians who maybe have done this diagnosis, you, you are in a company with others that understand. And, 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 it, and to reach out for your own personal support as that parent or as the, as the, as the child, I can see would be extremely helpful 
And I know we just have a few more minutes left, and I know I asked you to go grab a book. So I'm sorry <laughs> to put you on that spot because you already said that you're not the narrator of your books. That's but which okay. One did you, which, I do read which, them. Yes, you do. Which one did you grab? I'm just curious. I grabbed my most recent one, the Avery G and the Scary End of School, because it is the closest one on my bookshelf at the moment. <laughs> well, but you know something? It's so relevant because school is, is winding down. So would you mind just reading a little bit of it in the time we have left? Absolutely. Um, let me pull it open. And so it, it's called Avery G and the Scary End of School. And it starts off, hi, my name is Avery G. I love dancing, building Legos, and my new kitten, Barry. Summer vacation is about to begin. All the kids are talking about how much they are looking forward to summer. Everyone but me. When I think about school ending, I get a bad feeling in my belly. I don't understand why everyone is so excited. I don't want anything to change. I like things just the way they are. Here are my top five reasons why I feel worried when I think about the end of school. Number one, I know my schedule. I know what time I have lunch and what days I have PE and art. Having a schedule helps me feel relaxed. I don't have a schedule in the summer. Number two, I think my teacher, Miss Jess, is really, really nice. I don't want to have a new teacher next year. Number three, I will miss my classmates over the summer. What if no one remembers me next year and I will have to make all new friends? Number four, everyone says goodbye on the last day of school. Saying goodbye makes me really, really sad. Number five, my fifth reason doesn't feel like it belongs on this list, but I'm putting it here anyway. I've been trying my best at school all year, and by spring, I'm tired of working so hard. My brain has a hard time thinking. My body has a hard time listening. Being tired makes everything about the end of the school year feel harder. I tell my parents about my list, and they give me a big hug. My mom says, it will be okay. My dad says, it will be okay. I'm not sure it will be okay. The next day. My parents come talk to me before school. They have a plan for how to be less worried about the end of school. I really like plans. I take a big belly breath to feel brave and follow the steps in the plan. Step one. My parents shared with me a schedule they made for the summer. It showed me which days I'll be going to camp, which days I'll be visiting my grandmother, and which days I'll be going to the beach. I can even see what day school will start again. Hmm. I love having a summer schedule. Step two. My teacher, Miss Jess, brought me to see Miss Abby, who teaches in the grade above mine. Miss Abby is really, really nice. She showed me around her classroom, and I was even able to see the class schedule. Miss Abby's classroom didn't feel very different from my classroom. It even had some wobble chairs that I can use next year. Step three, 
My mom talked to other parents from my class. They decided to set up a few class playdates at the school playground over the summer. I feel much better knowing that I will get to see my classmates this summer. My dad even put my class playdates on my summer schedule. Hmm. Step four, I've learned that saying goodbye is hard for everyone, not just for me. Miss Deb, our art teacher, asked us to make goodbye cards. On the last day of school, we gave out our goodbye cards, and it made saying goodbye a little bit easier. Step five. My parents said that everyone feels tired sometimes. Because I was tired and things felt hard, I asked for more movement breaks at school. Moving around allows my brain and body to recharge, which helps me, not all, which helps me all the time, not just at the end of the school year. So there you have it. Even though I don't like things changing, I was able to make it through the end of the school year. My summer schedule says today we're going to the beach. It's going to be a super fun day. A really, really super fun day. The end. Oh, my goodness. I, I That was fabulous. And I know I put you on the spot. And I, good, I have Marcia. goosebumps. I have goosebumps from you reading that. And I really am going to encourage, as I promote this on social media, that people listen to this entire show so that they get a sense of what this book was about because it's so well constructed and it it, it brings such hope. I I feel so hopeful from listening to you and and for you to just share your time so so brilliantly and and for and you know let's face it I had to deal with something it's like oh my god my guest is gone what am I gonna do um, <laughs> but you came back and you know and that's okay. It's all okay because it's it's the plan. And I just want to thank you so much, Savon, for just being so generous with your time and for sharing what's so important for people getting an understanding about something that they maybe knew nothing about, but they do now, thanks to you. Thank you so, so much for being my guest today. Thank you so much for having me, Marsha. I very much appreciated it. You're very welcome. All right, everybody, enjoy the beginning of this month. And remember, as we said at the very beginning of the show, this is Teacher Appreciation Week. So maybe it's time to take that apple to school. Have a great day, everybody. Bye for now. <laughs>